Welcome to the 7 Seconds or Less podcast, a podcast about the NBA with a Phoenix Suns focus. My name is Max McCauley, and I'm joined as always by my co-host. His name is David Nash. David, for the first time ever in the history of this little podcast that focuses on the Phoenix Suns, we actually get to talk about some real live, ongoing Phoenix Suns basketball. Basketball's here, Max, and... uh... We may be regretting looking forward to it so much after what we've seen in the first three games, but either way, I'm I'm very excited to, to talk with you and, and with the fans of the team about real basketball. Me too, man. It's been too long. Uh, and yeah, while you refer to the fact that, you know, they haven't played particularly well, I still think I'm more encouraged than not. Might surprise the people, but, you know, we'll get into that because we're going to go over what every single player did in these first three games, our opinions, our observations our remarks, just everything, kind of what we saw. Uh, Then we're going to move on to what we want to see in the final two games, maybe some predictions about what the Suns are going to do to address some of the glaring holes on the roster. There's one in particular that I'm sure everyone listening to this is aware of. And then something we're both really excited about, the Did You Know segment this week is going to be extra special. David had the amazing opportunity to interview Jack McCallum, sports writing luminary, author of Seven Seconds or Less, the namesake of our podcast, David. That's something special, man. You must be really excited about that. I am. I was really excited to do it. It's going to come in two parts over our next two episodes before the season starts. And Jack was nice enough to reach out to us on Twitter and and say, I need to do this pod or or, have I done this podcast before? So uh, very nice of Jack. He was great with his time and uh, I hope people who either have or haven't read Seven Seconds or Less will, will really enjoy the insight. Jack gave a, a couple of nice little nuggets of information. He definitely didn't hold back. So definitely look out for that in the middle of this pod and the next one, Max. I can't wait. For, for those of you who are old like me, I mean, I read that when I was a teenager watching the Seven Seconds or Less Sun, so I'm pumped. I can't wait to listen to it. Before we start with any of this stuff, though, we wanted to do something we've been meaning to do for a while. We just wanted to take a quick moment to... Thank everyone who's been loyally listening to us since we've started. Uh, David and I are both overwhelmed by the support we've gotten, the consistent listenership. It's been far more successful than we thought it would ever be. So just thanks to all of you, especially those of you who have reviewed us, except the guy who gave us the one star for the Jodish pronunciation. <laughs> uh, I still hate you, but everybody else, thanks so much. It really helps us out to get these reviews. It means a lot to us, so thanks to everybody who's done that. Yeah, and there's a, there's a few more in this pod who have, have given us some thoughts and observations and questions to mull over with the first three preseason games, Max. So, yeah, just to echo your sentiment there, it's going a lot better than we ever anticipated when we started, and now that real basketball's here, we, we hope that it's kind of onwards and upwards, and uh, we can keep interacting with people and, and make it a good pod worth people listening. Speaking of onwards and upwards, David, the Phoenix Suns drafted DeAndre Ayton, center from U of A, with the number one overall pick, and he has now played his first three games in a real Phoenix Suns uniform. We're not counting Summer League. David, what's what's the biggest takeaway you've gotten from his first three games as a Sun? 
uh, that is an absolute monster. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's the one. <laughs> Which we were kind of expecting, but, you know, there was some questions from, from lots of people and from you and I, Max, about, you know, how that motor was going to translate, whether he, you know, just appears to be bigger and stronger than everyone on the court. And, you know, it, it still looks that way even against real NBA competition, you know, someone like Yusuf Nurkic. There were some concerns there, and we'll get into that, but, you know, he's over three games averaged over 20 points something like 13 rebounds and and three blocks as well, Max. So there is some great signs there from the big fella in the middle. Yeah, like you alluded to there, it is important to mention that they've played against the Sacramento Kings, the New Zealand Breakers, and Portland, where, you know, Nurkic kind of gave him some problems and he got to play against Myers Leonard for a lot of the time. But still, I I totally agree with you. The big takeaway is DeAndre Ayton's athleticism and size are, that's just totally real. It's not just in college, it's the NBA. This guy's going to be the most dominant crazy athlete on the floor, you know, anytime he's on the floor, basically. The two plays that stood out the most to me, I went to the game Friday night for Portland. The first one, they were both alley-oops from Josh Jackson, which, by the way, is apparently a thing. How many how many alley-oops has he gotten from Josh Jackson so far? Yeah, and he's returned the favor a couple of times as well, which I wanted to talk about in terms of his passing, Max. But Yeah, we'll get to that for sure. He's a total bailout threat and a lob threat, which, you know, we kind of expected, but... Um, I'll let you continue on with your point there. Yeah, I just wanted to cite two particular plays from last night's game that I, I'm sure on TV were great and in person just translated really well. It was The first one was the one where, I don't know if you remember this one, David, I think it was in the first half where Josh kind of flung it out there and DeAndre kind of like jumps up, takes it from the side of his head and just so smoothly like kind of does, doesn't really dunk it, he just puts it in the rim. I do remember the one and, and it's kind of consistent with all of his lob finishes so far. He's such a great finisher. He's just like finesses the ball through the net. He isn't all that interested in hanging onto the rim and shaking the backboard down. It's it's kind of a, a great thing to see. I made a joke about uh, on Twitter about Marquise Chris and, and how many lobs he didn't finish and uh, I love that from Aiden. He, he executes those lobs to perfection. His touch is just ridiculous on those kind of things but then so I think the one contrary example because I agree with you most of his finishes are, are finesse more than they are power but there was one in the fourth quarter which I was sitting right behind the basket for where he just he got it from Josh again obviously and then just like destroyed I think it might have been Myers that or whatever center was on him and just it was just a massive monster finish and it was what I want to see from him and it was it was one of those moments where you're like wow I'm watching somebody who's pretty special yeah, he just looks everything is advertised on the court through three games. It is only three preseason games, and we, we don't want to get too excited here. It's going right, to be great right. to see him play against some you know more uh, NBA-ready competition in the next two preseason games, and then obviously at the start of the real season. But you know, I've been surprised with kind of how much Igor has lent on him. Obviously, with Booker mm-hmm. out. Everything is kind of running through Aiton, whether it is uh, him getting the ball or, or action, pick and roll action, using his gravity to get open shots. They've really defined his role, you know, quite significantly. I think that will pull back slightly when Booker's back and the regular mm-hmm. season starts. But you know, when you know, I've seen Igor call a couple of plays. There's some, you know, his favorite so far seems to be the chin action where. Uh, Aiton, you know, gets the ball at the elbow and and they run off him. And, you know, I noted on Twitter with with a good friend of ours, Rich, that they're running a lot of those high elbow plays through Aiton, probably because, you know, what they're getting out of point guard hasn't been all that successful, which will obviously... (laughs) That's the understatement of the year. Yeah, we'll obviously get onto that shortly as well. But I've been a little bit surprised with that. Igor is really leaning on him. And, you know, in retrospect, when I think about it, I'm sure all of Igor's planning over the offseason and what they've run in training camp so far is 
90% action for either Booker or Aiton because they're going to be the two main guys. And whilst there is some criticism of everyone else so far in the three preseason games, uh, when Booker comes back, I think it's going to make everyone's job a hell of a lot easier. And, and maybe a few guys are playing up in role and position at the moment purely because Devin Booker's out, which is you know still such a shame, unfortunately, even though it's not the end of the world. God, I hope it makes our job as watchers easier when he comes back. Yeah, so I think you're. it's a great point that Igor's really leaned on Aiton. I think the reason is because DeAndre Aiton is the best player on the Phoenix Suns when Booker's out, which is a really good thing to be able to say. David, I, I do want to move on to his defense, though, because I don't think it's been incredible, but also it's better than it was at U of A, I think. And I think the reasons why people were uh, sort of making, I don't want to say making excuses for them, especially now that they've seemed to be justified, but... The reasons why people were saying Aiton wasn't the best defender in college, I think it may be proven true to an extent. He looks a lot better when he's the only big on the floor. He looks a lot better when he has a coach who's not telling him to avoid fouling, because it, it seems pretty clear that's what Sean Miller was doing. Uh, DeAndre, he's been much more willing to impose. Uh, he, he's not consistent. You know, It goes from play to play, but there, there are some plays where he's legitimately affecting the geometry of the court. He's legitimately imposing on the cards who are, who are driving, and he's making a difference. He's averaging three blocks a game. There's a lot to like on the end of the floor from DeAndre, I think. Yeah, three blocks in in every single game so far and and a lot of challenges at the rim, which is what you want to see from your five men and and where a lot of that, I guess, pessimism came with Aiton to begin with is that he wasn't even looking to challenge, which when you're that big on the court and so much bigger than everyone else, uh, you kind of want to see that from your five man. We're definitely seeing it. He got strung out a little bit in the Portland game. Mm-hmm. He started really well, I thought, in the Kings game, looked really engaged, mm-hmm. kind of really calling out to, to his defense and, and anchoring, as he noted, Igor wants him to do. The Breakers game, there was overall, he was still pretty good, but there was a couple of red flags for me in terms of just engagement and, yep. and things like bo- boxing out on defense. He, he kind of knew he was bigger than everyone. So he even got a couple of rebounds just kind of reaching over guys who actually had better position than him, which he's not going to be able to do in the NBA. So I was a little bit worried about that. And then, as I said, Portland really strung him out. He surprisingly kind of really came up in the pick and roll and, and didn't drop back as I've kind of expected the Suns to do, whether that was Igor just trialing a, a different coverage for you know, different teams. I'm not too sure, but he looked quite uncomfortable and Nurkic got him quite early on with a few kind of slip screens and things where there was just no one covering him mm-hmm. behind. It, that is on the wings a little bit. They are supposed to be coming in to give him help, but, you know, when the big's left out there on an island and he, he doesn't react at all and it's an easy layup, it, it, it looks quite ugly uh, from a from Aiton's point of view. Yeah, I I think you're all, you're right about to say all of that, and I think the, my main point I want to make on this is that he's it's been inconsistent. It's kind of play-to-play, like one play he'll be great, one play he'll be pretty bad. To me, it's just important to see that he has the flashes of, of the great side of it because it means he kind of is capable of it and he can be taught to do it because U of A, it was sort of consistently bad. I, you know, he had the highlight play here and there, but it consistently the engagement and the effort wasn't there. So it's just good for me to see it. Particularly, you know, that the first stretch in the Kings game was the best, right? When that, that first opening, whatever it was, six to seven minutes, he was just totally engaged. The wings were flying around on defense. That was the best they played the entire preseason, I think. Yeah, definitely. And it was just against the Kings who, who got blown out by the Warriors on the same night that we got blown out by the Blazers. So, <laughs> you know, not not great competition there. But just in terms of engagement and stuff, like I said, I think he was really on. Um, and, you know, I've written and, and noted about it a little bit. I think he's learning a, a brand new position from the start. And as we've already noted, Igor is 
leaning on him quite a bit on both ends of the floor. So there's going to be mistakes. He's a rookie at the end of the day. Um, but he's picking up things quite quickly, and, and I'm sure you know he has the tools, so he will pick up all those different coverages in kind of due course. Uh, he, he shades quite well in the pick and roll. You know, he moves his feet. I, there, there's really no concerns with me there. Instinctually, he's still got some things to pick up, but, you know, his overall pick and roll defense is really, really good. And, and as you noted at the start, he's really challenging at the rim. Uh, three blocks per game is great from your big man if he, if he keeps that up. And, you know, probably as you were alluding to, there's a lot of other things that don't come up in the stat sheet where Mm -hmm. his coverage and his presence just pulls guys out of the paint and into a bad shot on the outside, which he doesn't get a stat for, but it's quite clear when you watch that it's his kind of presence in the paint that's causing that, Max. Yep, I think that's a big part of it, and I think that's why the Pac-12 coaches voted him as one of the the best defenders. It's it's because of that. It's because just the effects his pure size athletic system has. You have to to take account of that guy. You cannot ignore him. But uh, let's get a little bit into the offense some more. We talked about the lob threat. I won't be surprised if he's already the best lob threat in the league this year. He's, he's an insane lob threat. It's pretty crazy. But the rest of the offensive skills, I'm not in love with. I think the jumper looks amazing. I think the touch is fantastic. It's great. The, the free throw shooting is awesome. That all I like. I don't love the way he's facing up. Always got as the jumper, which, as I said, is great. But he, I haven't. He, if I'm not mistaken, he has not tried to attack anybody off the dribble yet, face up, has he? No, and that's something that you and I have discussed privately. It's great that the jump is falling because we didn't see that fall mm-hmm. in summer league, and it looks quite good. But there's already, you know, we've already seen a bit of a tendency for him to fall in love with that, particularly on the baseline where it looks like he's got a pretty clear straight line drive past the defender and, and he'll take the jump shot instead. So, you know, it is important that he shows that he can hit that. That's what you and I have discussed, but you kind of want to see a progression then from him hitting a couple to him attacking his man and being able to get around for, for layups and dunks. And then mm. the third stage of that, which you and I have discussed is then when defenses rotate, can he make the extra pass to the open man, which there's probably only been one example that I can think of. And it came in the second half of the Blazers game where he dropped off to Josh Jackson when the defense kind of covered over to him. And that was really impressive. But uh, from memory, that didn't come from one of those kind of face-up situations. It, it didn't know it. It was one of the ones where he was sort of like under the basket to the like to the side of the basket where he didn't have a, like an angle. Yeah. So great to see the instincts there, but you kind of want to see it. Uh, in a more organized setting, I think is what mm-hmm. we're saying here, and, and him not fall in love with that jump shot, even though, Max, it has been falling quite a lot, which is great to see. It has, and the, the fact about DeAndre Ayton is that he's seven foot one, seven five ways, whatever, when he jumps, you're not blocking his jump shot, so if he can shoot that, you know, he'll get that whenever he wants it. I'm glad you brought out that play, that pass to Josh Jackson. That was my favorite play that I've seen from DeAndre Ayton the entire preseason, I think. That's what's going to really unlock him as an offensive player if he's able to pass it to the post like that because you've got to pay attention to him down there. And once you do that, that opens up all the other players. Um, I do want to talk about that specific situation, though, because I think that's one thing that it's a trouble for Ayton right now is where he made that pass to Josh Jackson, he was sort of like on the baseline, like five feet to seven feet-ish from the basket. When he gets there, he's sort of lost. He doesn't know totally what to do. And I think part of that is his lack of physicality at this point. I still want to see him impose his will a little bit more. I, he doesn't try to back anyone down into the basket. And to be fair, that night with it was Nurkic. He can't back the guy down to the basket because he actually outweighs him. But you'd like to see him against certain defenders just 
you know, put his ass into him, back him to the rim, and just dunk on him. And that's still not something we're seeing from DeAndre Drayton, which I think is an important step for him. Yeah, and I guess the hope is that it will come eventually. Um, I think Igor has probably noted that, Max, that he can't do that. I I noted on Twitter after the second game, I think it was, is, you know, he's doing a pretty good job of sealing his man and stuff in the paint, but uh, Igor is actually doing a really good job of making life easy for him. They're using a lot of cross screens. He's getting fronted a lot, so he's getting lobs over the top and and finishing most of them. Um, So they're kind of setting him up in these faux post-up scenarios where it's really just a pass and finish straight away. There's not kind of a pass to the post where he then backs down his man and things evolve from there. And I think whilst that is uh, something that you want to see from Aiton going forward, it it is kind of an archaic part of the NBA now. And I think Mm -hmm. Eagles realize that at least for now, it's not going to be quite an efficient play for them. So they're really running these post-ups that pretty much end up in a in an eight and score or eight and uh, shot right away rather than you know trying to work shooters off him in the post and things like that and to be honest the couple of times that we have seen them try and run a more traditional post-up play they've struggled to get him the ball again max yeah. so I, i'm not not surprised that Igor's not going back to that well very often when it's uh it's not really coming up trumps for them at the moment no it's not going to be a key to their offense but i think it's an important thing for this reason i've, I've been i've said this on the podcast a thousand times i think one of the the key things about deandre and that can make him invaluable is that he can stay on the floor against small ball lineups because of his defense and then punish the other side in offense because they're being small while he's gigantic and the only way he can do that is if he if he learns how to you know punish people who are too small and him guarding him so i don't know if he's really had the opportunity yet to have those kind of guys on him but he needs to be able to back the people down who don't you know have no business guarding him Needs to put those guys to the basket at some point. Yeah, and he's been fouled pretty consistently in the first right, three yeah. games as well. So you're just going to create more opportunities because it's very obvious when he gets positioned, it's a clear dunk or you do have to foul him. So, Ooh, can we can we touch on that real quick, David? His finishing around the basket is unreal. It really is. And as I said, you, you've either got that choice or foul him and then he picks up most of his three throws, which is great to see from a big man. Mm-hmm. So he really is a, a, a complete danger when it comes to underneath. But yeah, I think what you're alluding to there is I've been surprised quite a few times just how easy he makes it look kind of going under the rim and mm-hmm. finishing on the other side. He, exactly. he just finishes everything around there and, and no one's really giving him any trouble under the basket when he's got position. No, he is just, he has a nose for it. He is a real absurd touch for a guy his size. It's, it's a real thing. Um, I think it may have been underplayed in the draft process by me. I'm going to go ahead and admit it, that just the size skill combination, it's something that you don't usually see. And I think that some of us, you know, overanalyzed him and didn't realize kind of how much that mattered. And so, Mia culpa, it's only three preseason games, but I mean, I'm happy to be wrong if that continues. And and so am I about a few observations and negatives that I had about Aiton. The last thing I, I wanted to touch on with Aiton is we got a, a great question from Gene on Twitter. So kind of following on from your shout out to our listeners at the start of the pod is we've done over-unders on Aiton quite a few times in Did You Know sections and things on the pod, but would you revise anything based on the first three games that we've seen in terms of over-unders? Yeah, I can't remember exactly what my predictions were, but I had them at around 15 points. I think that'll be higher. I think it'll be more like 18 or 19, just just based on how how unreal he is at finishing the shooting. I, I think I underestimated that a little bit. The blocks, too, I think will be slightly higher than I thought. I think I was saying around 1. It'll probably be like 1.5, maybe like 1.7, something like that. 
Yeah, I agree. Um, his turnovers have been quite low, which has been great to see as well. And, you know, as I noted before, it's going to be interesting to see how his role changes with Booker back. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he's a, he's a pretty clear second option on this team. So, yeah, I think the, the 18 points per game kind of mark is definitely higher than I originally had him and, and definitely not out of the question. But that that's far too much positivity going on here, Max. So maybe we should move into the point guard situation. What do you think? Yeah, let's do that. Before we do it, just real quick, let's give him a quick little rating. I want to I wanna kind of rate how we're feeling in all these players. I guess what we'll do is like 1 to 10. 1 is you're not feeling so good. 10 is like you're really just jacked about this player. 5, you're in the middle of it. Uh, it won't be all based on the preseason, just kind of how you're feeling generally going into the season. So on that 10-point scale, where are you with Aiden? I'm an 8. Okay. All right. Uh, that changed at all from preseason, or is that just kind of where you were? Um, no, that, that's pretty much where I were, and you know, I don't want to overreact to three preseason mm-hmm. games. Maybe I was at a 7 with kind of some question marks about how a couple of things were going to translate straight away, and I'm feeling you know better about those things like the rebounding and, and the engagement that I'm seeing from him. But you know, I think 8's a, a, a pretty high score and, and pretty mm-hmm. reflective of how I'm feeling with him right now. How about you? I imagine it be your highest score on, the, on this podcast. Um it is. <laughs> I yeah. I same. I mean, I was already pretty. I mean, I was probably like a six point five. I wasn't excited as you were. Maybe a six. I'm probably where you're at now, an eight. I I've been really happy with what I saw. Pretty much all the question marks, like the, the big question marks, were at least a little bit satisfied. And everything we were kind of assuming going in was to be the case was that or more. So really, a really nice preseason performance so far. It's really encouraging and. The last thing I'll say on it before we move on is I just cannot wait to see him play with Devin Booker because. Once he has like a real star guard to play with, who's spaced in the floor and able to run the pick and roll at a higher level than anybody he's played with probably in his life, and also has that fiery, fiery personality that I'm not sure Aiton's ever played with as a lead guard. I just think it's going to elevate Aiton that much more. It's going to give Aiton Aiton's a little kid. He's going to kind of like impart Booker will impart that personality onto him. I think. I'm just excited. I think those two are going to be really fun together. Yeah, they have the potential to be a great kind of one-two combo and and great match for each other. As you said, personality-wise, they're a good match and mm-hmm. kind of a yin and yang there. And and then on the court with the you know the big and small. So yeah, I think things are positive. And if Booker can show that he's got anywhere near the kind of chemistry that Josh has shown in three games with Aiton, then wow, yeah. uh, it's going to be it's going to be pretty good to start the season. All right, let's get to something a little less positive, as you referred to. we got to talk about the point guards. I guess we'll start with Shaquille Harrison. He started the first game. David, the defense is still there, but at the same time, like it's not getting it done for this team. That's not what they need, is it? It's not, and uh, I hate to sound like a broken record, but uh, I'm going to back up what you said. The defense is there, but it's really his only NBA-ready skill right now, and uh, he should be in a role that's kind of 10 to 15 minutes a night that is just to bring that defense and, and be a pest against second units or, you know, maybe occasionally if you need to throw him out against a point guard that's really killing us on the offensive end. So, you know, he's one from six from three. Uh, he's got three assists and nine turnovers. As you said, he's played, you know, really good D, but outside of that, I'm not feeling too positive in the role that he's kind of been playing in this preseason team. No, he's not an NBA point guard. He's just not. He's an NBA defender, but he's not an NBA point guard. And the Suns are absolutely desperate for somebody to give them even bad NBA point guard level play, much less good NBA point guard level play. And he, he ain't it. So I think there's a real chance he ends up getting cut here just because... Isaiah can, we'll get to him in a second, but at this point in their careers, he's just a little better than than Shaq is at running an offense. 
And obviously they're going to want to see what the young guys can do. So Shaq's in some roster trouble, I think. Uh, and it's going to really suck because I, you know what's going to happen. He's going to get cut and go to a, one of those teams that has a superstar offensive player the, who the world re- revolves around. So Shaq can just do his defensive thing and be wide open for threes that he can maybe hit at a 32% clip when he's wide open. And everyone will call the Suns idiots for cutting him because, oh my God, how could you cut this obvious great role player? But the problem is, yes, obvious great role player, but the Suns just don't really have a need for what he can do right now. Yeah, and at some point a decision's going to have to be made. You, you can't carry this many you know, not ready NBA point guards uh, on your team. So having mm-hmm. just drafted a Kobo and then traded for Melton, uh, that's kind of two projects already. So you can't really afford for another project. And at the moment, that's really what Shaq is. And as you said, another team might benefit from that and be able to uh, have him as their project player that, that turns out. But he is already 25 years old and, and probably for the most part is what he is, which, you know, is a great player in the skills that he brings. But you know, as you said, with this roster crunch, uh, and we'll get to it at the end of the pod, he might be kind of the one on the outside looking in, unfortunately. Yeah, it's tough because I think, I, I mean, I like Shaq. I know you like Shaq. I think a lot of Suns fans like Shaq. So it's unfortunate, but it's kind of like an odd man out situation. Before we go on to Elie Kobo, do you want to give a quick rating, 1 to 10, how you're feeling on Shaq going forward? Yeah, and this probably goes in the face of, of what we've just said, but I would kind of give him a 6 or 7 out of 10 on his preseason hmm. games, and that's purely in if he was able to go back to his 10 to 15 minute night uh, a role on the real team then i think what we saw is exactly what you want to see out of him he hasn't regressed he brings the energy he brings the effort and it's more about situation than anything so whilst i'm disappointed we didn't see any extra stuff from him i also didn't really expect it max so mm. you know i'm willing to be positive about what he does bring rather than what he doesn't it's just a matter of whether the Suns can kind of find that role for him on the team. How about you? I think that's a fair take for sure. I'm a little less rosy on it. I actually, I'd probably have more like a three or a four because I was really hoping, I, I, I guess I bought into the summer hype that he was developing the shot and it was going to be a thing. I haven't really seen it. He really hasn't been able to make plays um, at all. When, the off- when he's running the offense, the offense is pretty stagnant. I don't know. I I, I I agree that he's brought everything we expected from him. I guess I just was hoping or expecting even that he would develop something else, and I didn't see it. So I think that's why I'm a little lower on him, but yeah. We'll see. Uh, let's move on to somebody maybe a little more exciting, but maybe equally as perplexing. Elliot Kobo, our French 31st overall pick. What do you think so far? He's been about what I expected, I think. Exciting, athletic, nice pace, can kind of score a little bit, but just mistakes all over the place. Yeah, he, he kind of looks under control when he's got the ball, but then he's still making some of those rookie mistakes, as you said. And, you know, he's, he's got four assists and four turnovers in the games that he's played so far, hit a couple of three-point shots. So in terms of like fit and what we're looking for out of that position, he's you know one of the guys that is at least putting his hand up and, and doing the things that you hope for next to Booker. But he's a rookie point guard, Max. And as we know, rookie point guards are generally bad in their first season. You, you can't really, you know, I know we saw some positive remarks and stuff from Mick D, but, you know, that was kind of wishful thinking. Most rookies don't just step into a a starter role, let alone a, you know, significant off the bench role and do it well from the get go. So, you know, he has been positive, what you'd probably expect from a 31 uh, pick in the most recent draft, but we can't project what we really needed out of the point guard position onto Ali because, you know, it, it might be slow going with him for a little while. Yeah, he has. he's a project. Igor needs to take him under his wing and teach him how to play basketball. He's got a lot of talent. I'm excited about him, but I wouldn't expect a whole lot out of him this year if you're a Suns fan. Like, 
Maybe he can be a kind of a fun 10th guy, but other than that, I think you're expecting a little too much. David, real quick, what's your ranking? 6 out of 10 for him as well from me. Yep, I think I agree with you. Yeah, that's about right. A little above what I was expecting. I'm happy with him. Uh, Isaiah Cannon, oh, this is going to be a quick one. Not exciting. He's only played one game with us. I think it was over 30 minutes, but only one game. Uh, nothing sexy from him. He's just kind of a bad NBA point guard, but the, <laughs> the very fact that you can say he's a bad NBA point guard and include the words NBA point guard means he probably deserves to be on the team. Yeah, and he hit three threes in his 30 minutes uh, against the Blazers, which you know you might be looking for in that starting position. A bit of a shame that he was injured to start the preseason because we may not even be having a discussion around who the starter is going to be out of who we've currently got if he plays the whole preseason because I think he probably looks significantly better than any other mm-hmm. options that we have. Oh, right I'll give now. you a hot take right now, David. I don't think it's a discussion even after that one game. I think if they don't make a trade, he's the starter. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I think we've already alluded to that with kind of thinking that we need to cut someone else off this roster to make way for Isaiah. I'm not sure that that's still the right decision kind of projecting forward. I, I would rather they make another move. But, you know, the only thing that I'll note with the one game that we've seen with him so far is he hasn't lost his pace, which you obviously worry about uh, with an injury that he was coming back from. Um, so, you know, that's at least encouraging that it doesn't look like we're needing to, you know, start a guy who is still working out his body. It, it looks like he's fully recovered other than the, the thumb injury that he's picked up, Max. Yeah, I agree with that. He looks like he's healthy. The problem is, that, like, even when he was playing, like, we're, we're talking about him like he was, like, good or even okay. The offense was still terrible. Like, he wasn't making the offense good. I mean, the hope is that when Booker comes back, he's, you know, serviceable enough to play with Booker, and, and that offense is okay if those two are together, but, man, I mean, even if he's the starter, I don't feel good about it, do you? I don't know how you could. No, I don't feel good about it at all, and I think, you know, when we've talked about Cantonen in the past, we've been, you know, looking back to his play on the team last season, which, again, everybody sees with kind of rose-colored glasses because of what the situation was before he started Mm -hmm. running the point for the team. So whilst it may be better than any option that we have at the moment, it's still not a great option going forward. And, you know, when you run an open audition like this for point guard uh, in these preseason games, as Igor has kind of noted it is, all the point guards are slightly different in terms of skills. So then the team has to adjust to each one every time they come on the court. They're trying to all run the same things, but obviously they've got different uh, positives and negatives to their game. So everything needs to be done slightly different. The whole team is kind of trying to adjust to that and it results in, you know, very bad looking basketball that, you know, isn't executed all that well and uh, isn't a great outcome on the court, Max. What is your rating for Cannon before we move on to your favorite man, DeAnthony Melton? Oh, I'm excited. Uh, You know, it's going to be kind of weird to say this because he's so unexciting, but I guess I'll give him a 7.5 because... Before preseason started, I actually kind of thought he wouldn't be on the team in the regular season. Now I think he's going to start, so it's kind of hard for me not to give him a good rating. Yeah, from that standpoint, I think you're right. Um, If we're looking at these ratings about how disappointed or what we expected out of them, then uh, yeah, you're probably right. I gave him a 6 out of 10 again because I kind of see all those three guys were discussed relatively on the same plane. David, there there was one moment last night when I was at the game where I stood out of my seat. Only one. Could you guess what it was? Uh, no, but you're going to tell me, Max. It was when Belton hit two threes in a row, and it was on the break and almost hit the third, and the the, the arena was about to blow up. It was so exciting. Everyone wanted that third one to go in, and I was looking at the bench in the second half because it was a pretty 
dull position to go into the second half with the Blazers. The team fought hard. There was a couple of runs where they showed, you know, increased effort and things. But, you know, that that kind of little stretch got the bench really excited. So that was that was nice to see. And everyone was trying to, you know, ride that third one through the bucket. Yeah, Melton did give them a little bit of excitement. He sort of gave them, like, he sparked the run in the fourth quarter, which is really their only good run they had the entire game, sort of. In terms of just kind of the fun of the atmosphere. But so let's, let's get into what he, show, he showed so far. So the big knock on him going in was obviously the shot, which, I mean, listen, small is a small sample of sizes, but it looks better. Even the one he missed on that third one row, it was close. I mean, he, it looks like a real NBA shooter. Uh, he was getting to the rim a little bit, which was nice. He had two nice drives in that game. The defense, he's not getting steals. He's getting called for a lot of fouls. I think part of that is just because the refs are not going to give an aggressive perimeter player calls when they're rookies. They just don't. It's impossible. you got to earn your reputation as a good defender before you get calls. So I think he'll start getting those yeah. later. But, yeah, I mean, I'm pretty excited about him. I like him going in. So as someone who was, you know, still liked him but less high on him, what, what do you think? Uh, I think, you know, not to, to give my rating too early here, but I've got him at a seven, whereas I had the other three guys at a six. And I think that's on the back of everything that you've just mentioned, Max is I think in terms of excitement going forward, he's given us the most out of the three guys in his limited minutes so far. And, you know, something that we've gone on about on this pod a great deal is a match with Booker and and being a, a perfect Booker partner. And I think the little things that he's showing shows that in terms of that conversation, he's definitely got the chance to be the best fit next to Booker projecting mm-hmm. forward. I'm not starting him uh, this season or anything like that, and, and this we'll get to again later in the pod around making a move to bring in a, a consistent guy right away. But, you know, I think Melton, as far as a fit with Booker, is showing he's got the energy. You know, he can't run the team right now, but he, he's showing a willingness to to do a few things from that, that standpoint and, you know, won't be lent on... Uh, a great deal in a perfect Booker offense anyway, with Booker having the ball in his hands quite a lot. So, you know, the Patrick Beverly comp that we've made in the past, you know, what we've seen in his limited minutes so far is that's kind of what he is. He's willing to shoot from the outside when he needs to. Limited playmaking brings defense and and brings energy. You know, the one thing that I kind of think about outside of the the example that you brought up is, you know, he might be the only guy that I've seen dive on the court for a loose ball in mm-hmm. the three games so far. Cool. And that kind of shows exactly what he is as a player, Max. Yeah, he's at 100 at 100 all the time. He's never going to take plays off. Uh, a cliche, but a cliche that applies. That's just the way he is. And it's, it's the kind of guy that Suns desperately need. So my rating real quick, 7.5. Um, that's my confirmation bias rating. <laughs> uh, let's move on to the small forwards, the wings, that whole mess. Got to start with Josh Jackson, who, man, really an up and down start to the season. First game was amazing. I thought he was fantastic in it. The next two were kind of... You know, same old summer league as Josh, questionable decision-making. What do you think, David? What are your thoughts after the first three games? Uh, I'll give you three things here. He's two from 15 from three, so he is showing Ooh. a willingness to shoot, but uh, as we've seen in the past, the ball's not going through the hoop. He has 16 assists in three games, which is amazing to see that kind of playmaking when we're talking about really lacking that on the team at the moment. However, he also has 15 turnovers, Max. So we are getting Mm -hmm. the full Josh Jackson experience through three preseason games. (laughs) Yes, we are. I think that's the key right there is that assist to turnover ratio. So I'm so encouraged by the playmaking that he's showing, the vision. 
the, the, the willingness to, to make plays. Because I think a big thing we were hoping for as a prospect with him when we drafted him was that he was going to be someone who could be a sort of point forward-ish at some point. So it's nice to see that he's focused on that and he sort of has the vision, the you know, the whole will, will to do it and stuff. The issue with it is that the decision making is just so bad, isn't it? It's not just the shot selection, which is bad, but it's the, he sees these passes that he thinks he can make and he can't. I hate to do this. I like Josh a lot, but I'm getting worried, David. I'm getting worried. Yeah, I, I hate to give him too much of the benefit of the doubt, and this is probably going to come up a few times with a few players here, but you know, I keep going back to Eagle was very upfront and honest that these preseason games he sees as an extension of training camp. That probably can be taken as he thinks that they're a little bit further behind than where they maybe should have been due to injuries and, and a few other things. That would just be my takeaway from the quote. So I'm encouraged that Jackson is prepared to do things and continuing to work on his game versus, you know, say someone like TJ Warren, who we'll get to in a minute, who's just showing a total unwillingness to, you know, even try certain things. So from that standpoint, it's great with Jackson, but you, you want to see some improvement. Eventually you want to see some progression. And, you know, I think I'll throw this back to you, Max. This might sum up how we feel about Jackson perfectly. It was a, a question from uh, secret wars on Twitter that we got. And it's, you know, how can being the third or fourth option on the optimal Suns team benefit Josh Jackson in terms of uh, decreasing some of these negatives that we're seeing with him? I mean, it could be the entire difference. It could be the, the whole thing for him, the whole key. And that's kind of why I'm so worried right now. And I believe in Igor. I'm with you, David. I love Igor. <laughs> I, I trust, the, trust the process with him. But I don't like how much free reign he's getting. I'm hoping that this is something that can be reined in. I know it's just a few games. Summer League was like this too. He had the whole green light thing going on. But I do see him as being the third or fourth option, probably third option on offense someday. And I think, yeah, that's where he's going to be great because he's not going to force things as much because right now he's very clearly forcing things. So, yeah, a Secret Wars, that's that's where I want to see him. That's what I hope for. That's kind of why the whole point guard, not having a point guard thing is such a problem because it's forcing guys like Jackson to not play the way they should be playing. Uh, and we'll get into it later, but I think it's why they kind of have to trade for a point guard because – they're hurting the development of players like Jackson when they when they don't have real NBA teams to play with. Yeah, and I think that's kind of a reasonable thought to have, kind of projecting forward with Jackson. The, the one thing that I'll note is that I think we're kind of seeing him audition as a off-the-bench playmaker for this team. You obviously mm. want to see the turnovers come down because you know we, we need to protect the ball uh, and, and save possessions. You know We can't expect... DeAndre Ayton to get all those possessions back for us on offensive boards every game. So I'm liking him trying things because I, I really think that we'll see him in the second unit a lot and he's probably the best playmaking option in that second unit. Again, going back to the discussion we just had about point guards, we're not really seeing much playmaking at all from those guys. So even if we trade for a mm-hmm. point guard or they do something funky with the starting lineup, you might be leaning on Josh still for a lot of that playmaking in the second unit. So I'm liking that he's trying things. I'm liking that we're seeing those 16 assists out of him. Um, we just need to hopefully see him get more comfortable in that role and, and therefore the turnovers come down, Max. But I guess I'm a little more positive just purely because playmaking out of that position in the second unit is better than absolutely none, even with the turnovers at this point in time. Yeah, I guess for me, it's more that I'm just kind of fear of the unknown. I don't have any proof that Jackson can't rein it in and be Candace Jackson again because really he hasn't had the opportunity. He's just been constantly on horrible terrible rosters where he has to be the primary player most of the time. 
So maybe he can do it. It's just kind of like I'm not sure yet. Maybe I'll be proven uh, wrong, like I was with Aiton, that once he went to a better situation, he was going to be a you know, better player. And I hope that's what happens, but I'm just nervous for this point. Uh, David, I guess I'll say, I don't know, five for Jackson. And by the way, that's a five where I got two at some points and a nine at other points. <laughs> yeah. But uh, what's your ranking? I'm exactly the same. I think it, it, a five is, is perfect because he's got those highs and lows at the moment and, and therefore sits somewhere in the middle. How about Trevor Ariza, Max? What, what have you thought about him so far? We can be quick on this one. Uh I, I mean, I haven't seen much from him that's, like, surprising. I guess a little bit more playmaking than you expect because the team's sort of void of it. But, yeah, I mean, he's he hasn't had the opportunity to do sort of what he was doing in Houston, the whole spread the floor, you know, play defense 3-and-D thing, which I think he's going to be good at. Uh, when Booker gets back, I think it'll be better with him. Uh, but he's fine. What do you think? Yeah, he's been completely as advertised, I think. I've seen a couple of moments where he's been visibly upset or, or confused on the court when guys aren't executing. Hmm. So I think that's frustrated him a little bit. Get used to it. Yeah, exactly. But, he, you know, for mine, my main note on him is I think he's a clear third option on this team uh, as far as the, the starting lineup goes. And, and hmm. we're kind of seeing out of him just in, in three small preseason games that uh, he'll be able to execute. And hopefully as the team gets comfortable, he'll be able to do some of those things that you're alluding to in, in terms of the extra play creation, hitting open shots, and, and then affecting the game a little bit more on defense. Yep, I think it's just going to be a matter of him getting in a team that's making more sense on both sides of the floor. Uh, real quick, I have him a five. What do you got? I've got him as a seven, just behind DeAndre Ayton oh, as, wow. as my best rating. Yeah, I think that's. I think I was thinking just preseason, just because I'm expecting what I'm seeing. But and just in terms of overall going in, seven's fine. T.J. Warren, for me, same guy. Showed a little bit more willingness to pass. I like the lob to Aiton. Uh, I think they're really going to need him on the bench as a scorer. Uh, I don't know how else they're going to score. So I'm still really in on that being the role for him. But overall, I'm not seeing a whole lot of difference. What about you? Yeah, he's refused to shoot. It was highlighted in the Portland game. I think there was more scenarios where they left him open out on the wings and he passed up. Luckily for him, a couple of those passes resulted in threes on on definitely much harder shots, but I'm sure they would have looked at that at film and and said that he should be the one taking that open three. Um, He's losing his man on D a lot in the half court, which isn't great to see. It's been something that's been a negative with him in the past. So those two things don't look like they've improved at all, which is is frustrating with TJ. Um, But he is passing a little bit. He's shown that the system is allowing him to just make the open pass, the the very clear, obvious pass. He's shown a willingness to do that, which is, you know, slightly encouraging. He has four assists through the the three games so far. Uh, And he looks, in what we can see, I I don't know what's happening behind the scenes, but he looks to have accepted the six-man role um, and as you say, his acceptance of that and, and being a, a spark plug offensive guy off the bench for us might be important, particularly uh, to begin the season, Max. Yep, I think that's got to be the role for him. Uh, we need him there. We just straight flat out, we need him there. So hopefully he accepts it. Uh, for me, David, it's I guess it's a five because he's exactly what I expected. <laughs> what about you? Yeah, it's a five for me as well, purely because we haven't seen those kind of two negatives uh, look to be improved at all, which is quite frustrating, but there's a clear role for him in what he does well on this team. So that five could definitely come up if he definitely accepts that role going into the regular season and could be a positive for the Suns there. Mikel Bridges, I'm giving him an incomplete. Uh, He's shown a couple of nice things in a couple of the games, but he got hurt. And then, I mean, Mikel Bridges is just not someone you're going to see 
provide his value unless he has the right you know team around him. He needs Booker out there. He needs players who can space the floor, you know, who he can help space the floor for, who he can help defend around. Like he's a, he's a helpful player. He's not like the star, so I don't expect him to be very good in this in this role. So I'm giving him an incomplete. Yeah, I think that's fair. The injury comes at a really bad time. Uh, something that we'll get to with Booker and when he comes back, I think Mikhail was in the perfect position to be the spot starter uh, for Booker if he's not ready for game one. And now this injury kind of puts that into a bit of a confusing state. But, you know, the, the only thing that I'll note on him or two things I'll note on him is we've seen him on the ball a little bit and he makes great decisions, which, you know, for a rookie is great to see compared to some of the guys on this team who don't make such great decisions. You know, there's a couple of plays with Aiton where he just holds the ball until the right moment and then either attacks or, or drops off the pass, which we saw a little bit of that in Summer League as well. And Igor's really hard on him. He, he pulled him definitely at least one moment that I saw in uh, the second game, I believe. And, you know, I'm kind of positive about that because I think it just means that Igor knows how good he can be and he's kind of coaching him the right way and making sure that he does all of those little things. Because as you say, Max, in a optimal situation, that's what his role on a really good team is going to be, is to provide that glue. Yep. Yeah, it's your nickname for him. Uh, Davon Reed, I very similar. Needs a point guard. I, just, I incomplete for me almost. Like I just don't know what to say about him because he's not being put in the right situation. Yeah, I've got Reed, Daniels, and and King, who we saw a few little minutes from at the end of the Blazers game, all in a, in an incomplete for me because we just haven't seen much from them. Mm-hmm. They're kind of playing spot minutes, as you said. They're really struggling with a point guard, and it, it's those guys that really when they're having to play up role or position on the court that really struggle without Booker and without a point guard because, you know, they're really just expected to hit open shots and move the ball on and things. And and when the offense is that stagnant, it kind of makes these guys look a lot worse than they actually are in their optimal situations, Max. Okay, David, let's move on to the bigs. Uh, We can spend less time here because there's not a lot to talk about. Ryan Anderson, his shot's not falling. I don't care. I, I mean, there's a lot of evidence that it will. He's, I have no change of opinion on him, do you? No, he's a 38% shooter. He's one from nine in three games. Uh, one thing that I... The only thing I'll note with him is he's taken a lot of dribbles in for twos, and I think that's purely because his point guard is not getting it to him in the shooting pocket or is getting the ball to him late on those situations where Aiton's gravity kind of drags his player around for a, a split second. So again, another guy who's... Uh, maybe struggling a little bit due to the point guard play, but that's really all there needs to be said on Ryan Anderson. He'll be fine. Yep, we'll judge him when Devin Booker is playing, and hopefully they have a better point guard. Uh, Dragon Bender had really two horrible games to start. The Portland game was a little better. Uh, it showed a little more aggression. He had a really nice rebound, uh, putback finish, which I, I really like to see. Uh, I think he made a three. He looked pretty decent. I, whatever. I mean, Bender is hes a long way off, David. Yeah, about 10 minutes in the Blazer game helped Bender get a 3 out of 10 from me, or else <laughs> it probably would have been a, a 1 or a 0 based on those first two games. But I'm watching for to see how Igor is coaching him. I've said it quite a bit. I think we're starting at ground zero with Bender, as much as people don't like to hear that or, or want to admit it. So um, his shot wasn't falling. He lacks confidence. Uh, it all kind of resulted in him looking extremely bad in those first two games. But... You know, we're going to see better things from him in certain moments. And uh, the only thing I'll say, I I think I've probably lent further to them not picking up his option. But 
Um, we'll see on that one, Max. Yeah, I'm going to give him a two. It's just I want to see more out of him, something. I'm not seeing it. Uh, I will note the crowd was hurting on him last night pretty pretty hard. I went to some of the late-season games last season. It wasn't like this. This season, the fans are sick of it. I'll put it that way. Uh, Tyson Chandler, I, I have nothing to say. He's Tyson Chandler. He blew an alley-oop last night that made me appreciate DeAndre Ayton, and that's all I have to say. <laughs> he looks healthy and, and kind of motivated, which is great going on from his quotes about wanting to play this season. I still think he, you know, maybe that motivation's coming from auditioning for other teams, whether it's through a trade or looking to to push the Suns for a buyout at some point and, and move to a contender. So, yeah, I think we'll see him. We might lean on him at times. Uh, him and Holmes are kind of in that same position, backing up DeAndre. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, DeAndre's shown a, a great sign of not fouling in his first kind of few NBA mm-hmm. games, but there, there will be games where he gets in foul trouble and we might lean on guys like Chandler a little bit more. He He's fine, but yeah, you're right. There's there's not too much to touch on there with him. Yeah, and kind of same with Holmes, right? Like he's kind of at, as, as advertised. He's been athletic. He's not impactful particularly, but he can make athletic plays every once in a while. He's fine. Him and Chandler both get fives for me, I guess. Yeah, I've got them both at sixes, which is pretty consistent with my other ratings. I think you and I have have been consistent with our own ratings rather than against each other here. And mm-hmm. you know, the only thing I'll note with Holmes, he's a bit lighter than I kind of remembered or expected. And hmm. you know, maybe that's just in stark contrast to seeing him against a rookie like Aiton, who's who's already a monster. But you know, he runs the floor, as you said. He makes plays. There, there was one play on a fast break where he made you know a great open pass to the guy trailing. Uh, for a layup so um, it, it's nice to see a bit of passing out of your bigs like that and, and that's kind of a hallmark of this Igor offense is we're seeing guys get assists that we're not used to even even Tyson's had a couple in certain scenarios yeah that's a great point I heard made in the Empire of the Suns podcast by uh, Callan I think even though they're not executing particularly well we can kind of see the Igor offense and all the movement in this direction all that stuff but it's fun and I'm excited to see what it looks like when it's being run properly <laughs> Yeah, I, I noted, I think, in the second game, we're kind of at stage one of about five stages where they are with, mm-hmm. with Igor's offense. So it's great to see the the signs. Uh, everyone's kind of uh, remarking on Twitter how great it is already to see it in, in contrast to what we're used to out of the Suns. But, you know, all going well, it, it, it's actually got a hell of a lot more to give. So if people are excited about the offense now, hopefully they'll be very, very excited in you know a couple of years. But it's going to be slow going, Max. Okay, now let's move on to David's very special Did You Know? Thanks, Max. We're joined by a special guest today for an extended version of Did You Know? Over two episodes, we'll be delving into the Suns past like we love to do in this segment, but with our very special guest, Jack McCallum. Hello to you, Jack. How are you? Good to be here. For those who may not know, you're, of course, the author of the great Suns book, Seven Seconds or Less, My Season on the Bench with the Runnin' and Gunnin' Phoenix Suns. That's quite a long name and, and something you like to do with all your books, Jack. It's something I do not like to do, as a matter of fact. the uh, It seems to be the publisher seems really intent on long subtitles. My, I, I did a book on the Dream Team, and it had an equally long subtitle. It was not my idea, but you really can't fight a publisher on titles of books. So I had the main title, Seven Seconds or Less, but it was their idea uh, to put in the subtitle. Just seems to be something publishers do. Interesting, interesting. So you mentioned the Dream Team book there, and we like our guests to give their own intros on the show. So 
How about a quick rundown of, of some other books that you've written over time and, and in more recent times since the Seven Seconds or Less book, Jack? Well, I wrote that. Uh, I wrote Seven Seconds or Less in the waning 2005-2006, uh, in the waning years of my career at Sports Illustrated. Uh, I just got tired of travel, wanted to get out, had other books to write, still retain a really good relationship with Sports Illustrated. I'm on the masthead, but... Since I left, I had time to do a uh, a book on the Dream Team, which has been uh, very successful, called the Dream Team. I did a book with uh, Jim Beheim, the Syracuse coach. I did a book uh, last year, the paperback's ready to come out, called Golden Days, which is about Jerry West's old Laker team and the new Golden State Warriors, the kind of connections between them uh, through Jerry West. And I did a book on uh, prostate cancer in the uh, in the middle of all that. I had I had prostate cancer and uh, ground out a book on that topic too. So I've I've managed to stay uh, pretty busy since seven seconds or less. You have, and uh, we love to to pose the "Did you know?" question in this segment, Jack. So I'll jump right in. Did you know that on November fourteen of this year, it will be the twelfth birthday of your Seven Seconds or Less book, and quite ironically, we'll be playing the San Antonio Spurs on that night. So we didn't actually face the Spurs in your book of the o five o six season, but. How about a, a quick recap of what the book does cover before we we jump into some specific things, Jack? Well, uh, I had this idea. It started in the preseason. It started just as a story for Sports Illustrated. I thought it would be interesting to spend some time as a, quote, assistant coach with a basketball team. Uh, but I didn't know who would let me do it. I mean, I, you know, I there were some teams you eliminated automatically, like the Spurs, because Pop would never let uh, – you know, I like Pop and he likes me, but he wouldn't let me within 10 feet of his locker room all the time. <laughs> I mean, I thought of the Suns. They were an interesting team. I knew Dan Tony a little bit. I knew Steve. I knew Sean Marion. Uh, I knew the public relations director very well, Julie Fye, who's one of the great people in the history of public relations. And I thought they might go for it. And they, they said yes. And I wrote the story for Sports Illustrated. And I was not smart enough to think of it myself, but an editor called me and said, look, uh, this story was so interesting and people liked it so much. Why don't you expand it into a book? And I called up Mike D'Antoni and said, look, what I did in the preseason, I want to follow you all season long. And he basically right then and there said, yes, <laughs> it was kind of uh, it was kind of that easy. Some things. Most things in my business are harder than they seem uh, to set up. This one was very definitely easier. So jumping into the book now, we're going to run through in the order it was written. I'm going to blend two ideas here, one from our podcast and one from the great Zach Lowe. Uh, if you're game, Jack, I'm going to put you on the spot, which we love to do with my co-host Max uh, in this segment by giving you a few quotes from the book and test your memory on who said them. Does that sound good to you? No, it sounds probably bad, but go ahead and let's do it. <laughs> I may not remember. Uh, I've made them pretty easy for you, but it will, we'll fill in the blanks if you can't remember any. So the first cab off the rank, and I'll, I'll give you a clue to start. It comes in the bits before chapter one of the book, and it says... 
Jack, I hope you're paying for that. Do you remember who said that one? Uh, I think that's Steve Nash. That is Steve Nash. It comes in the backstory section before chapter one, as I said, where you note how tough it was to become one of the team. But also note that Nash was one of the ones you gelled with quite quickly. So how hard was it to begin with? And was Nash's acceptance crucial to, uh, you know, the following rest of the year, Jack? Well, of course. I mean, I, you know, the, the first thing were the coaches. I mean, that's who I was going to be spending the most time with. The players, it was going to take a while. The only ones I really knew uh, at all were Steve uh, Nash and I knew Sean Marion. Uh, thinking quickly, I didn't know anybody else really. And, you know, the the tone is kind of set by the coaches and the leader of the team. And that was very much Steve to a certain extent, Sean. And uh, the coaches seemed to accept me. And I gradually developed a relationship with uh, with most of the players. And, you know, it ended up not good at the end with Sean. Uh, after the book came out, he was not entirely pleased with some of the things. But Everything else, it worked out uh, pretty smoothly. Great, great. So the next one on is from early on in the book as well and comes from one of the many coaches meetings that you sat in on. You just said that, you know, you spent most of your time with the coaches, which is explained early on in the book. And, you know, personally, I think that's some of the best bits of the book. But this one is as the Suns are preparing for the Lakers and talking about Kobe, it's it's also about Tim Thomas, who is the subject of a lot of robust coaches' conversation in the book. So the quote is, we shouldn't be afraid of that. I expect Tim Thomas to play good defense. He's an NBA player. Do you remember who that was? Uh, well, um, I would think that would probably be Mark Ivoroni. It wasn't Mark Ivoroni. It was Dan D'Antoni. It was... Uh, a nice funny exchange between Ivoroni and Dan D'Antoni actually. And, you know, Dan D'Antoni is a, a bit of a comedic figure throughout the book. But as I mentioned, there was also a lot of heated conversations. And what was it like being on a, a you know, a fly on the wall in, in some of those conversations? Did it, did it get awkward at times, Jack? Well, Dan was in a, in a, a peculiar position. I mean, I mean, he was Mike's brother, so obviously he was going to be accepted, but he was a little bit more like me. I mean, Dan was kind of an outsider and he was his first year in the league. And yeah, he got in basically because, you know, uh, they knew he knew basketball and he was Mike's brother, but Dan was learning the ropes too. And I kind of spent a lot of my time with Dan because we were both in this sort of same position. And I think one of the things Dan thought was, wow, everybody plays hard everybody's going to be a good defensive player. And I think he found out really that wasn't exactly the, uh, that wasn't exactly the case. One of the great Ivoroni quotes about Tim Thomas was uh, he looked at him one day practicing and he went, eh, he's got a low flame, (laughs) (laughs) which was that quote stuck with me for a long time. I've used that a lot since Eh, he's got a low flame, you know, uh, and Dan had to learn things too. Yeah, just like I did. Yeah, I think that quote could still be used for a, a lot of sons since this team playing on defense, and and probably a few in the current team as well. But the next quote comes from one of your full timeouts in the first half of the book, which, by the way, are great little tidbits throughout the book that jump 
you know, around the whole season and, and give great context to situations throughout the playoffs. So this one's, a, it's a short one, Jack, and it is who's the Russian? Who's the Russian? <sighs> I'm afraid you, uh, I'm afraid you might have me on, is it a coach or a player? Uh, it, it's neither. It's a Suns legend and, and a staff member on the team at the at the time. Uh, he was the arena manager. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't remember that one. You got me on that one. <laughs> it was Alvin Adams, Jack. So my question here is on Boris Dior, who the quote was about. He's a, a key figure in the book due to Amari's injury and the trade to bring him in before the season. So. You know, was he all talent at the time and no work, or are we a little hard on Boris for, you know, thinking that maybe he took things a little too easy, particularly that season, Jack? Yeah, there was a suspicion about uh, Boris that he was a little bit too smiley, uh, that he wasn't, uh, he didn't exactly have when he came when he came there. Nobody knew exactly what he was. You know, there's always this hunger to know what somebody is. Well, he's a rebounding power forward. You know, Kurt Thomas, he can hit the elbow jumper and he gets rebounds. Uh, Nash is obviously this. Marion's a versatile player. Boris, they didn't they didn't really know what he was. And in point of fact, uh, he ended up as kind of their Swiss Army knife. You know, he was playing center. He was playing forward. D'Antoni let him handle a little bit. Uh so I think his versatility and his lack of, of key position worked against him in the beginning. But then on a D'Antoni team, it really worked out for him. And by the end of the season, the two players who had done the most by far in the coach's eyes were Nash, of course, an MVP candidate, and, uh, and uh, Boris Diaw. Uh, but there was a suspicion about Boris in the beginning. Yeah, there's the another great section in the book where he battles one on one with Amari when you know Amari's trying to come back from injury, and you know everyone's quite shocked about how well he does against Amari, you know, because of how physically gifted Amari is. And that there's even that other story, you know, outside of the book where uh, Boris walks in bare feet holding a coffee and. Uh, you know, breaks Amari's vertical leap record with without even trying. So I think a lot of Suns fans, you know, think that maybe if he worked even a little harder, he, he might have been even better in a Suns uniform. Yeah, Boris's career was really, I'm not sure that Boris would have gone on to have the career that he did had he not, you know, gotten with Phoenix. Because by the end of his time in San Antonio, although he had gained weight, he had gotten bigger. He was the same kind of player. You know, you couldn't quite define what he was. And, uh, he was really a delight to be around. I mean, Boris was really a little bit of an outsider, it seemed, but he he didn't really seem to care about it. I mean, he didn't seem to care that, you know, he had a different diet. He had different tastes than the other players, but I think it came, you know, as the season went on, his value became more and more clear, obviously to the coaches, but also to the players. Yeah, you know, this Suns team's often talked about it being a, a bit ahead of its time with the the Warriors, and Boris was maybe even a bit ahead of his time. I can't help but think that he'd be pretty perfect in, in today's NBA where, you know, positions aren't as crucial and he, he's not seen as much of a, a tweener position with, you know, no defined role on the court. That's correct. I mean, Boris could play. Boris couldn't guard every position, obviously, but he could certainly play every position. And as I said, he was... All the players. I mean, I got. It, I was just lucky. I hit 
I hit these type of players who were just in their own way. They were different personalities, uh, and Raja Bell could certainly be a little bit uh, volatile, let's say. But uh, I got along with them all, and they were all really good guys, and I just remember them all uh, really fondly. So I'm saving the best till last for part one here, Jack, and, and maybe the easiest for you too. It, it comes after a game six win over the Lakers in round one. Raja Bell was suspended and the Suns uh, win the game to tie it three all before eventually going on to win. And the quote here is, make sure you mention Sean. We couldn't have done it without him. Who said that one, Jack? Uh, well, that would be somebody that was always... You know, the coaches were always, before I tell you, I'm not, I'm going to just guess on the answer, but the coaches were always trying to pump up Sean a little bit because Sean always felt he was overshadowed by certainly Steve, but he was also sensitive about being overshadowed by Amare. And all the coaches, you know, were kind of united in that, uh, in that regard, you know, of trying to, Hey, make sure you uh, you know mention Sean. Don't let Sean get down. Don't let Sean feel his contributions weren't noticed. So it could have been anybody, but I'm guessing it was. I guess I could. I would guess Ivoroni for that one. It was the the head honcho this time. It was Mike D'Antoni to Jerry Brown after that game, and uh, you've you've mentioned it a few times already in, in this section one and Marion's you know, feelings about the team and his value on the team is kind of an undertone throughout the book, you know, particularly for me. So, you know, he even makes a comment that night about losses being on him and wins being on everyone else. And, you know, did you think his feelings were justified or, you know, you've said that it was something that everyone was always worried about, but was he, you know, a little touchy about that or or did he really not get the credit he was deserved? I think it probably went... uh... I think he had a case once in a while um, because, you know, I would say he was 30% correct and he was 70% wrong. I mean, the idea that Sean was overlooked, I I just don't think is correct. I think people, uh, you know, understood his value. They understood that he had to guard power forwards and small forwards. They understood that he, you know, was a guy that, that could get out on the break and also make three pointers, but it never quite seemed enough for him. And the one place I think he was justified was that Amari Stoudemire's incredible potential, what he could do when he was motivated and when he was not injured, that was always a lively topic of conversation. And I think that's probably what got Sean uh, the most upset dimensions about Amare. Deep inside of Sean, he knew that he wasn't as valuable as Steve. I think he believed that, but he really did think that Amare got way too much credit and attention uh, and and not always contributing 100% to the extent that, that he did. Yeah, it's going to be interesting with the Suns Ring of Honor. You know, you, you would hope that Nash, Amari, and Marion are all together one that you know one day, but Marion obviously got his title, unlike the others with the Mavs, and uh, you know it'll be interesting again whether he makes the Hall of Fame and whether 
you know, he, he sees himself as a, a Phoenix Sun in the Hall of Fame or, or maybe as a Mav because of that title. But definitely some more conversations to be had between between those three to, you know, look back in retrospect, Jack. Well, it is interesting that I, I was always glad, you know, Sean confronted me after the book came out. And I, I remember it was the begin first game of the next season. I was in Seattle doing something and the Suns were there. I, I, I don't think I was doing a Sun story. I can't remember. But Sean was really upset, really thought that I demeaned him uh, in the book, really thought too many people said things about him. And it was probably the only negative thing that came out of the book. And so kind of quiet, wasn't, you know, kind of quietly, I was happy that Sean got his ring. (laughs) You know, he was the only, uh, you know, he was the only one, you know, to get his, uh, to get a ring. Uh, And uh, I found that, uh, I found that pretty interesting. And I was happy when he got one, you know, it kind of, you know, justified him certainly in his own mind a little bit. So Jack, that brings us to the end of part one of our Did You Know special with you. But before we end, I wanted to do a special seven seconds or less segment to finish, which is where we ask three questions of the other person and you have seven seconds or less to answer the question, but we, ne- we never keep to that rule. So don't, don't worry if you go over slightly. So are you, are you game for some, some questions to end here? All right. Maybe it's 24 seconds or less. <laughs> so who was the easiest interview and who was the hardest interview while making the book, Jack? Our, uh, easiest inter- the hardest interview was Steve because to get stuff out of him was very difficult. The easiest interview was Eddie House. You could stick your microphone in front of him and Eddie would talk. <laughs> interesting, interesting. What's one bit from the season that you wish was in the book, either that you just you know missed the cut in the edit or that you maybe didn't get access to at the time? Believe it or not, I wish I could have got a little bit better into Steve. And it remains that way. I still remain friends with Steve. I see him once in a while. Uh, on various things, but I still don't feel, you know, the essential Nash has been unlocked and certainly I was not able to do it. And that's curious because he's the one person I remain close to beside uh, D'Antoni, but uh, I didn't feel I unlocked him very well. Interesting. So the last one for now, Jack, did you secretly hope the Suns could go all the way for the purposes of the book? There was no secret about it. (laughs) I sat there every game silently rooting for the Suns because I, you know, it's not personal. Well, I got to know them, so I would be happy for them. Totally selfish, totally professional reasons. I wanted them to win badly because you want to write in this game, you either got to write about a team that's really, really good or really, really bad. And uh, that's, that's the most interesting teams. So I really wanted them to win. No question about it. <laughs> Thanks, Jack. It's been really fun to look at the first half of the book. And listeners, if you haven't read Seven Seconds or Less before, then you have a week to find out before we jump back into the second half. I can speak from experience. It will take you longer for the delivery than to finish the book. It's such a great, fast read for Suns fans. But for now, we will continue with the rest of the episode, but we'll be back again next week with part two with Jack. Okay, let's move on to what we want to see from these guys for the next two games. They have the Warriors on Monday and the Blazers again on Wednesday. David, what is it in particular you're looking for? 
Uh, the Warriors, I guess what we touched on at the start of the episode with Aiton, it's going to be really good to see him come up against this team because it, whilst it is a preseason game, one of the big things we noted with Aiton is, is he going to be able to stay on the floor against teams mm-hmm. that look to play him off it? So that's really the one thing I'm going to be looking for in the Warriors game. I don't know about you, but I, I'm just excited to see Aiton play against uh, this uh, kind of elite team, particularly in those rare minutes that we see the, the full Warriors line up out there. Yeah, I hope it motivates them a little bit because I think there's been a difference between the motivation in some of these games. The the Kings game, they the first one, they seemed really hyper motivated. The the Breakers game, a lot less. I hope that this is like a game where they're it's the Warriors and they're really hyped to play, and the Warriors obviously don't give a shit because it's the Suns. So maybe they have the the energy advantage. And they can kind of you know get out to a lead, have some fun with that. Uh, I also I would love to see Igor's unleash Melton on Curry and just say, hey, do whatever you want on him. Just go foul him. Do whatever you want. I just want to see you go after Curry and see what happens. Yeah, I think we saw that in the first couple of games with whoever the point guards were. He's clearly told the point guards to just go after it. You know, we saw mm-hmm. Akobo and Shaq both basically almost foul out uh, their full 12 fouls between the two of them. So, you know, if we do have to go into the regular season without a point guard change, which we'll get to in a minute, you know, maybe... Igor's just going to throw this kind of wall of point guards out there and, and go with whoever's rolling on a certain night and make them use all their fouls. So yeah, I want to see effort in this Warriors game. Uh, it's not great that it may take a team like the Warriors to get the, the effort out of them, but I'll take seeing it over not seeing it. That's for sure. Yep, I agree. Portland, I mean, I don't know. I, I guess I would like to see Aiton do a little better against Nurkic, but I've not, it's the last preseason game. I don't expect a lot of the guys. Yeah, it's kind of the only note I'll have on it. It's good to play them again. It's good to play that same team mm-hmm. again, as you said. You get Aiton up against Nurkic again. I think Igor's in due time. If he's at the Suns in three or four years when they're in the playoffs, he's he's going to be an adjustments coach. He's kind of got that Euro style of um, you know being able to see what teams are giving him and and then adjust. So you know whether we yeah see Aiton play better now that they've looked at how Portland played in the first game. Um, and the only other thing I'll note is, you know, what I said earlier in the pod, they've been treating these preseason games as, as kind of extended training camp. But mm-hmm. this being the last preseason game, I would expect that we see a shortened rotation um, and maybe even a guy like Reed or Daniels in, in a starting position in Booker's place. And then they'll kind of really fill out that rotation. So, yeah, I would be looking, listeners, to to that Portland game. You might get a, a clear indication of what the kind of game one rotation is going to be for this team. Yep, wouldn't totally shock me either if uh, they didn't play the important players like Aiton in the second half at all, which would make it totally unwatchable. <laughs> uh, let's move on to a couple questions that we have kind of looking forward to this season. I think the biggest thing that Suns fans are hoping for and excited about is just Devin Booker coming back. Obviously, this team needs him. We all miss him. David, when do you think Devin Booker will be back? Will he be back for the first game against the Dallas Mavericks? I think every sign that we're seeing alludes to him being back for game one. So I'm actually at a point now where I would be surprised if he's not back for game one. How about you? Totally agree. Uh, he was shooting with his right hand pretty early on. But even more importantly, I saw him like receiving and, and throwing passes with his right hand, which is a little more you know, intense on the hand. So, yeah, I mean, if he's already doing that, I think they're going to have to have one less MRI to clear him, make sure it couldn't get re-injured, because obviously that's the concern. But if they see that it's fully healed, uh, yeah, I think he'll probably be ready to go for night one, which is going to be really fun. The only thing I will note on that is I hope that it is, you know, according to plan and it's not some panic move because of how bad things have looked in preseason and they Oof. can't they can't get a point guard. You know, we can we can deal with a 
you know, zero three zero four start here. Let's not do anything crazy just to, you know, avoid a blowout or two. That that would be very silly, Max. David, if they bring Booker back too early and he gets hurt for like months, I'm done. I'm done with this the whole ownership to the GM situation. They cannot do that. Yeah, we'll we'll start that Sacramento Kings podcast if that happens, hey Max. <laughs> yes. That's where I'm more popular anyway. Uh, okay, next question. Will they trade for a point guard, David? And if so, when? Oh, this is really tough. I, I, I lean yes, but it, it's clearly gotten to this situation because teams just aren't willing to deal and, and McDee's not willing to cough up the assets that it's going to take. Uh, seeing Beverly through a few preseason games, I think you can pretty much rule him out. I think he's very integral to that Clippers team and he's bringing exactly what they need. Uh, but on the Clippers, I'll, you know, maybe Milos is the guy that eventually gets cut and maybe that's why we haven't seen a trade yet because mm-hmm. you know maybe the Suns know that he uh, before game one is going to get cut from the uh, Clippers roster and you know there was that early report and, and quote from Igor about him being a target so you know there may still be something there Max what what do you think are they going to panic into something or or are we going to have to see it uh, wait out for a little longer I think they're going to panic into something and let me tell you why I think a preseason would have been one of two scenarios they wouldn't have. They would have been like so worthless and Aiton would have been sluggish, kind of even the worst in the U of A or whatever. And it would have been clear this team just kind of had nothing. Maybe they just hold on to the assets and say we're playing for the future sort of thing. Maybe if it been the other way around and the point guards would look awesome and it wasn't clear that they needed a point guard, they wouldn't have needed one. But we're in this sort of like middle ground where Aiton looks ready to go. Like Aiton looks like a guy who can win Rookie of the Year and be like an impactful player right away, the second best player in the team. And obviously they'll bring Booker back, and this team could actually be kind of goodish if they have a real point guard. I think it's going to push McDonough, who is in a tenuous situation, it seems like, to be more aggressive. And, you know, the Milwaukee pick, it's important in terms of like an asset for the future and like a trade situation, but. They really don't need it. They don't need to make another pick. They need to use that thing in the best possible way to make this current core better. And to me, it makes a lot of sense to just get someone who can help guys like Reed and Mikel actually develop and be good, who can help Booker grow, who can help Aiton grow, help Jackson not grow the wrong way. Like For what I've seen from this team, they just desperately need that guy. And it wouldn't shock me if McDonough sort of I don't know if you want to call it a panic trade, but sort of just maybe feels like the time is right. Yeah, I think it's a good observation, and there's a lot of reasons why you might end up being right, Max. And we've touched on it quite a few times in this episode. Um, You know, maybe next episode we'll give it its own uh, little segment at the top based on where we're currently sitting with the Suns team. But Mm -hmm. you, you can't make the moves for Ariza and Anderson and then not back them up with competent point guard play. So unless the plan all along was to start Booker at point guard, I think... We need to make a move eventually and and sooner rather than later because, you know, we've already seen it in the preseason games, Max. If we're not getting good point guard play for this team, kind of all the other moves that McD has made are going to be uh, a waste of time, to put it, you know, quite frankly. You can't be a good NBA team without a a point guard who's not even NBA level. You just can't, so... Okay, let's move on. Uh, real quick, we just want to preview our next episode. We're going to do our full season NBA predictions, like the whole league, MVP, playoffs, all that stuff. So that'll be fun. I'm excited to get that on record. David, anything you want to say about our next episode, or should we move on to seven seconds or less? 
Uh, we'll have part two, obviously, of the, the special Did You Know yes, in yes. the next episode as well. And, and let us know after listening to part one what you thought. But I'm going to jump straight into seven seconds or less here for you, Max. Let's do it. We got this first one from Ali on Twitter, and, and then the next two kind of stem on from that. Okay. So rank these in order of likelihood uh, with Bender. I'll also note another listener, uh, Mook, gave us a, a Bender question, which ties in quite nicely with this. So, A, is Bender's in a trade for a point guard before the start of the mm-hmm. season? B, is the Suns don't pick up his option? C, is the Suns do pick up his option? And D, is Bender is the one wave to get to 15? How would you rank them in order of likelihood, Max? In order of likelihood, I would say... They do not pick up his options, most likely. They do pick up his options, second most likely. Uh, the third one was they cut him right. I think that's the least likely. And then the third most likely is that they put him in a trade. I- I'm just not sure anybody wants to trade for him. <laughs> yeah, and that was Mook's question about whether he has any value. Which I doubt I it. I think he'd be he'd be purely thrown in as, as salary and then that team not pick up his option, I, mm-hmm. would, I would say. So... Using that same framework here for question two, Max, rank these options in order of likelihood in relation to the starting point guard position. Uh, The Suns trade for a starter prior to game one. Booker starts game one at point guard. Kanan is kept and starts game one. Or D, any of Shaq, Melton, and Okobo start game one, Max? I would say Cannon. This is a really tough one, actually. I think Cannon starts game one most likely. Oh, Booker starts game two most, or game one second most likely. They trade third most likely, and then they start one of those other guys fourth most likely. That's probably how I'd have it too. And and question three here, if you had to rank based on what you have seen to date, what will Josh Jackson be in the lineup by season's end? So the four options here, he's starting on a team that's still trying to win. He's starting on a team that is no longer worried about winning. He's still coming off the bench. Or D, he is no longer on the Phoenix Suns, Max. Oh, wow. I think the most likely thing is that he is starting on a team that is trying to win. I think the second most likely is he's starting on a team that is not really trying to win. Then I'll say that he's the backup. And then I'll say the last one is that he's not on the team anymore. I don't think they're going to trade him, do you? No, I, I just threw that in as a, as a curveball. But, you know, he may be the piece that's thrown in if, if McD goes all in on a point guard and, and not one of these stopgap options. That would be my only point on that okay well that's it for us thanks everybody please as always rate review and subscribe we really appreciate it you can follow me at max mcc 11 you can follow david at the four point play and you can follow our podcast at seven sol pod david thinks it was fun it was fun and we'll be back next week after two more games and the season will be right there max cannot wait thanks everybody